I guess I'm about seven or eight, see? And I'm in the basement at Goldblatt's. Now, it's Saturday night, and this is a very special world. A world that hardly any of you will understand. But if you can imagine, let's say, a very, very bad... Well, it's, it's almost impossible to describe. But nevertheless, it's Saturday night, and it's in Goldblatt's basement. It's a gigantic dollar day sale. My mother has dragged me downtown to get me a pair of shoes which are on sale for 88 cents. <laughs> I don't know whether or not you remember wearing 88-cent shoes, but I do, Daddy. Pure cardboard all the way down and all the way up to the ankle where they dug in like maggots. And so we're down there ready to make our deal. My mother has dived in head foremost, and she's digging in. Back and forth we're going. 14,000 women, and I'm clinging to her like a small cockle boat clinging to the vast wake of the Queen Mary. And she's going, and finally she digs out one size six and a quarter. I am a six and a quarter man. One, a left foot. She goes harder and harder. She finally finds a six and seven eighth. She says, this will do. Try them both on. They're both left footed. She throws it back into the pot and in she goes again. Within 15 minutes she comes up with a seven and a half. Right foot this time. I got both of them on. One is dragging and the other is hopping ahead of me. She says it'll do. She pays the guy 88 cents and 15 minutes later, we're out on State Street. You don't think for a minute you outlive this sort of thing, do you, quickly? I'm telling you I wore these for the, at least for two semesters. And there's no small wonder. I'm t I mean, six and seven, eight, seven and a quarter, it doesn't make any difference. It makes no difference at all. It's the gauge that counts, Dad. <laughs> it's the warp and the woof, the stream of life. All these things shall contrive to undo each one of us. Look, we're all of us, each one of us, a small pot, a small seizing, boiling cauldron of emotions, laced by a million lost and gone memories, things hard to understand, things incomprehensible. Remember one time I'm standing next to the Hires Root Beer Barrel in the J.G. Kresge store in my neighborhood. Uh, do you remember the Hires Root Beer Barrel, the big one? <laughs> and the guy went down to the basement and he was going to tap a new bung. Uh, he was... I don't know. This is this is degenerated. It's becoming... The, the, have you had the feeling that, that the world started out as a beautifully contrived... A superbly delineated tragic comedy by Shakespeare and wound up slowly but surely it's beginning to head in the general direction of Olson and Johnson. I, it's getting to be just the broadest kind of farce. The next thing I know, Khrushchev is going to come flying out of the gallery, swinging down onto the stage, yucking as he goes, dropping paper bags on the crowd, and <laughs> Kennedy's going to swat him on the head with a pig bladder. Fourteen million guys are going to parade across the stage carrying signs. It's becoming, it's becoming broad comedy, broad farce, slapstick. I'm walking on 6th Avenue at 4 o'clock in the morning, yesterday morning. 6th Avenue at 4 o'clock in the morning has a life all of its own. Even Bickford's was beginning to dim. I'm walking past there, and I'm heading actually towards Bickford's. I'm, a, I'm an oatmeal man. I had a very special deal down there, an oatmeal. Oatmeal regular 10 cents with cream 12. And I'm heading down there for my nightly bowl of oatmeal. And I get about in the 40s there, 43rd, 44th, 45th, something like that over there on the west side of the street. One of these places where they sell wax mustaches, you know. 
and they sell little plastic things that you put under the amoeba-shaped coffee tables that look like somebody's dog has been there first, you know, those real funny-type humor stores, and someone has left the record player on, and the record player is playing these laughs out on the 6th Avenue at 4 o'clock in the morning out of a vacant, dark store with nothing but these big rubber Frankenstein masks looking out at me and these big claw-like rubber feet. <laughs> Very scratchy record, and it's laughing like mad. So all I could do to down my, my Danish. You know, in New York... Of course, uh, we all know about Danish, but in Copenhagen, they have all this wonderful pastry they call New York's. And it's a very special... <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> have you ever had the feeling that it was degenerating in the pure farce? I'll tell you how you start this. Uh, you, Many people begin, you know, they begin on the right track and they wind up kind of believing that the world is what it seems to be. I, I would like to give you a rule of thumb. It's a terrible rule of thumb to have to understand. It's actually probably a rule of the forefinger, not the thumb so much. Possibly the second finger. But the rule is this. That any person you see, just pick any one of them that you know, uh, judge him as fairly as you can. Then reverse the current. 180 degree phase shift, and then you'll have maybe a close approximation of what he really is. I feel that at least, oh, 99.9% of the population is exactly the opposite of what they play. Believe this. Terrible thing. Of course, this all stems from early childhood scars. One Saturday night, I'm standing on the main street of Hammond, Indiana, which is a pleasant little village growing on the vast motherly bosom, the vast inverted bowl of Midwest, and I'm standing there just like a kid. It's about 8 o'clock at night. I want to tell you an actual anecdote from my youth. Listen carefully. Well, these things should appear or not in a, in a calendar or an almanac describing why the chicken crosses the road and what time the sun will rise and what time the moon will set and whether or not eggs will be good in the middle of March or whether there will be a snowstorm in February. I'm standing there on the curb, and I see coming down the street a parade. The cops are ahead, and they're blowing whistles, and the motorcycles are going along, and it's 8 o'clock on a hot August evening. Things are steaming. It's like you're living in the middle of a yeast cake. And somebody has left it out on the, on the windowsill in the sun. And that hot sun is beamed down and it's beginning to sprout. You can feel, ooh, you know. The actual, you can almost taste life at times. I think a lot of people, funny thing, you taste it, you can, there is a taste to it. An actual taste, of course, it's a, it, it, all, the, all the senses are part of it. You can touch it sometimes, you can hear it many times. Those rustlings. When all the sounds have stopped, there is a rustling. And that is the rustling that is the most significant sound of all. The humming of millions and millions of people. That tuneless hum that everyone hums. I heard this hum in, in Belgrade. I heard it, a very strange thing. I'm walking down a long stairway in a, in a hotel in Amsterdam. And there's a guy walking ahead of me. We're coming down for breakfast. He's a Dutch businessman. 
and he's going. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'd heard this before. Two hours later, after I had taken the plane from the airport, I'm winging on my way to Paris. Sitting in the seat ahead of me was a woman wearing a sari. And she's looking out of the window while they're preparing to serve her her meal. And she's going, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm." it's the same sound. I have heard this come out of the mouths of elevator operators and second grade school teachers. Guys that are fitting me with shoes and guys that are getting ready to go to work on the night shift at the blast furnace. Mm-hmm. The tuneless hum. And so I'm standing there on the, on the curb waiting for the parade to come by. There's nothing that gets a kid more going than a parade of any kind, you know. And this old parade is moving on down the street. I see him coming. My old man is standing next to me and I want to climb up on his shoulders to be really be sure to get a good look at it. My old lady's sort of skulking in the background with a shopping bag full of wash rags. There'd been a big day of shopping. The old parade is moving from left to right. It's a counterclockwise parade in a clockwise town. They're coming down, they're moving. And I see them coming. Slowly they are taking shape and taking form. The light is bad. It's a hot, steamy Midwestern night where everything shimmered. You could almost see the heat rising off those concrete streets at two in the morning. It's just shimmering. And the parade is moving down towards us. They got all kinds of funny lights and things. Strange costumes. They're coming closer and closer and closer. And I suddenly see these guys are wearing all these funny suits. It looks like it's a gigantic Halloween parade in the middle of August. And it's a great-looking parade, you know. All these guys got these funny suits with the long, tall, thin hats. And they they got eyes, holes. They're looking out of bags. It's a funny-looking thing. And they've got great big torches and stuff. And I say to my old man, what a parade. What is that? He doesn't say anything. He just looks. My mother doesn't say anything either. I said, what a great parade. Wow, look at that. Hey, wowie. My kid brother's jumping up and down. He says, hey, Dad, can I get up on your shoulders and look? Whoopee, wow! They got no bands in this parade. Nothing. Just walking there, walking. And the crowds all along the sidewalks are silent. The only noises you hear are the sound of these feet dragging. As these people walk along, wearing those long, strange suits that look like Halloween. And once in a while, you'd hear a kid hollering who knew no better. Hey, whoa, wowie, parade! <laughs> Finally, I says to my dad, what kind of a parade is this? This is great. Long silence. He says, let's go. I said, I want to see the rest of the parade. He says, come on. He dragged me, and the next thing I knew, we're in the back of the Essex. We're heading out into the country. We go about four miles, and I am raising the roof. I have just been cheated out of a parade. Finally, the old man says, shut up, will you? That was the Ku Klux Klan. I didn't know what he meant. I says, it was a great parade. He says, that was the KKK. I want you to remember it. And I have. Just thought you ought to know. 
And they were carrying up there in the front those great big fiery crosses. Colorful native rites. At the height of the tourist season, you will find the colorful native rites are worthy of any's, anyone's color photography. Come one, come all. Clip the coupon at the bottom of the page for further information. Now, up. That's it. Speaking of colorful native rights, this is WOR, AM and FM, New York. Interesting tourist site. Now, I, I have a deep suspicion that most of us feel that we are tourists all of our lives. I wonder if a guy ever really feels like he truly and genuinely and completely is part of something. Actually, really part of something. I, I suspect that... that Somewhere there's some guy training a telescope on us, trying to figure out whether or not civilized life is possible on Earth. And coming to the conclusion that it isn't. And you can't argue with him. You can't really, you know. It depends. It's a problem of semantics. It's like limbo. Uh, is there anyone out there... No, I, I don't think... It gets to the point where you begin to wonder whether or not you invented these things. Was there ever anything called sponge candy? Was there ever anything called sponge candy? Yeah, sponge candy that was kind of like yellow. It was sort of tasted like molasses and it stuck in the teeth. I guess not. No, I doubt very much whether there was. It was like the smell of ancient gasoline tanks. It was like, uh, I mean, all these other things which meant something, which had a feeling, which had an honest, reliable stench to them, I suppose would be the word. One can use it. Now, look. No, 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 I can't. I can't, not yet. I must I must quote before we go any further, Ed. Hold on now. Now, this, we've, we've got to have uh, milk of human kindness music. May I please have my uh, gothic music? From time to time, WOR, in keeping with its usual policy of vast and probing public service, spends its time taking a good hard look in order to, in a sense, communicate with you how things really are. Uh, if, if one is to look into that vast cathedral of the mind, can you hear your voice echoing back? Like the time I'm standing in Westminster Abbey, and all I wanted to holler was kind of, Hey! comes back from the poet's corner. That came back from Beowulf, who was buried over there under the second nave from the left. That's spelled without a K, by the way. And so you look into this this, this hollow dome of the mind, the, the glass room, the enormous glass room that E.E. E. Cummings talked about. The glass room that is nothing but windows. Hello, John. You know about that enormous glass room. You've lived in it all of your life. That that is nothing but windows. But the sad part of it all is, hey Ed, hey, don't 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 lose don't lose me. Just keep your eye on me. We don't have that much time. That great enormous dome. You finally look through that window. You crawl on your hands and knees over the oriental rug of imagination. 
and you finally drag your way up to the great firm plant of desire that is being slowly consumed by the aphids of reality <laughs> and time to finally painfully slowly you are able to see over the windowsill into that great vast void of the outside world and the planes stretch endlessly to the horizon. My God, I never thought it looked like that. Nothing but space, empty space. And deep down in the soul of all humanity there lies a terrible fear of space, of any kind. And at the same time, a kind of contradictory fear of an, of an enclosed be locked in the closet is a deep, dark, terrible fear. And yet the desire to be locked in the closet is an all-consuming desire also. So you look out over that long, long landscape. I never thought it looked like this. Maybe I had best take refuge in classicism. That's it. <laughs> form and structure. I shall build a temple of structure and form of exceedingly beautiful architecture. Yes, I think I will find solace in punctuation. Because punctuation means stop, start, dash, dot, hyphen, semicolon. There are few things that man has created that has more meaning than stop, start, period, hyphen, semicolon, comma. Of these things we shall speak, and shall spin of the golden skein, and shall build of a fine and exceedingly dense cloth and texture. Oh, I never thought it looked like that. I mean, that darkness, that big, big room out there, that void. But is it a void? Is it, is it? Must, there's, there's, there's another side to this room. We are unable to comprehend a void that has no end. Impossible. Oh. Hmm. Let me look again. Yes. Maybe perhaps if I hid below the parapet here and looked over the top with... Uh, I have an idea. I can use one of those periscopes that they sell at ball games. Look out there. Oh, that's better. First periscope I ever saw that had a kaleidoscopic attachment. <laughs> I can. Works out pretty good. There. There. Now it's beginning to work. And so, once again, mankind in thy indomitable spirit, we salute thee, marching resolutely in the general direction of a vast void, making plans for tomorrow, and making blueprints of yesterday, always constantly analyzing the lint plucked from the navel of history, hoping that somewhere we'll find the answer. And it's right there in the, in the mirror yesterday.
I quote, written in pure Rococo, early Neo-Gothic, late decadent language. Hotel rooms were almost as scarce as airplane seats yesterday. <laughs> it's almost like World Series time, commented an airline's public relations man as the struck companies tried to find accommodations for travelers waiting for plane seats. We are all travelers. bus driver is calmly waiting behind us and he's writing things down like numbers on the back of the uh, on the back of the Studebaker and that he's not running anywhere you see and our driver says get off will you come on and the next thing i knew it was like out of a nightmare we are in the traffic we are going 40 miles an hour and this guy's hanging onto the front of the bus and he's and the bus driver's and the cars are going past us and all the people in the bus are starting to panic and they're starting to divide up sides Half of them for the guy hanging out there. And you can tell, Republicans and Democrats are divided right down the middle. Guess which ones were the Democrats? <laughs> and one, one bunch of guys are, are, are hollering for the guy out, 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 on the, out on the front. And one bunch is hollering at the bus driver, What do you think you are, you bomb? What are you trying to do? Run away from the guy? He, I saw you hit him. You saw him a gun. Come on, you bomb. And the next the whole bus is screaming right down US 4. 400 guys yelling. And this clown is hanging onto the front of the bus. And we forget all about him. This gigantic argument breaks out. We go four miles. And it's about four miles between stops on US 4. And suddenly the bus driver realizes he's got to stop. We are approaching the George Washington Bridge. You know where they go under the viaduct? He pulls up and there are 200 people waiting to get on the bus. And this clown is hanging on the front, banging the windshield. Why was I waiting on? Everybody's fist fighting in the bus. And we pull up and it is a fantastic look of unbelief. And there's a cop in the middle of the crowd. He says, oh, I are you? Pow! He shoots the gun up in here. Oh, you stop! And there's a dead silence. The guy climbs down from the front of the bus. The bus driver climbs out, and he lines the whole crowd of us up, all of us, and he frisks us. I'm telling you what happened. He lines us all up, the whole crowd. He says, shut up, none of you. I don't want to hear nothing. And he walks up and down. Everybody is scared that are waiting for the bus. And within ten minutes, all of us were loaded into the paddy wagon. And across the George Washington Bridge we went. <laughs> yes. Oh, believeth, O oh, thou, in thy constant travail. Corner. Come on, old Pete. Come on, let's go. Let's go there, buddy. He's son of mine. Don't know what to do with a woman. <laughs> I'm going to whoop me with an inch of my life. Come on, here. Come on here, Chuck Connor. I know you're a type. You never was much of a first baseman. You ain't no actor here. You was even a worse cowboy. Now get up there, move that mule along. You was running to the wrong big daddy this time. I'll break you in half. Any son of mine, lying, sneezing, rotten son. What's that you say? What you say there? Uh, read open your mouth. You never was much of a first baseman. Uh, what you trying to say to me? Mendacity, boy! Mendacity. You open your mouth. You're just lucky that I'm not 20 years younger. I'd show you what to do with that woman. 
And then... You know well, good snuggle. What did you say? Fade over your ear. With my wealth, I wish I had lived... What did you say, woman? ...in great genius lived. Don't change the subject. I would not have... You're ducking out again. The Shut up, all of you. Get moving there, mules. Get him moving there. Get him moving there, mules. Come on now. We got to get back to the range before nightfall, and when we get back, Chuck, you are going to answer for a lot of things. Yes. Now I'm going to be a sheep man left in these parts when I get through with them. Forty years I've been building this... Been building this spread. I'm not going to let it go. Yeah. Years ago when you were born, boy, I thought that I'd spawned a real man. Now I don't know where to turn. Don't... What the... Themselves so proudly. Now here, now there, they glide and sway and wave like measures beguiling. They bow to each other, and as they nod, she whispers, gently smiling. <laughs> A water pink is hanging from your cap, my fair young dancer. It only grows in the depths of the sea. <laughs> you are no mortal man, sir. You are a merman, and to lure these village maids your wishes, I knew you at once by your watery eye and your teeth as sharp as the fishes. <laughs> now here, now there, they glide and sway and wave like measures beguiling. They bow to each other, and as they nod, he answers gently smiling. My lovely lady, tell me why your hand so cold and shiny and why is the border of your gown so damp and draggled and briny? I knew you at once by your watery eyes and your bow so mocking and tricksy. You're never a daughter of earth, my dear. You are my cousin, the Nixie. The fiddles are silent. The dancing is done. <laughs> they part with a ripple of laughter. They know each other too well and will try to avoid such a meeting hereafter. the sky as little as a leaf and then it drew near and brought and it's a bird said i and fetched my bow and arrows it was queer it grew up from a speck into a blot and squattered past a cloud and then it flew down all crumply and waggled such a lot i thought the thing would fall it was a brown old carpet where a man was sitting snug who when he reached the ground began to sew a big hole in the middle of the rug and kept on peeping everywhere to know who might be coming. Then he gave a twist and flew away. I fired at him, but missed. 
What's the matter in there? Uh-huh. Stop. No, 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 no. That was, it was to pin the next one there. Hold it. Now it's too late. Too late. Too late. <laughs> too late. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my heavens. <laughs> Good heavens. A terrible moment there. Have you ever been caught? I don't know whether you've ever worked in a review, but here's one of the worst things that ever happens in a review. And I want both of you in the control room to listen to this. One of the worst things that happens in a review is when you, you finish saying the funny joke and it's supposed to be blackout, you know? And, and you stand up there and you say, And so I send to the lady, What are the one anybody? What up, pow? And the band goes, And you stand there and the light doesn't go out. And you're still steady. And pretty soon you go, <laughs> And then you kind of sidle sideways off the stage in the next performance. It's, it's, have you noticed the terrible look on the face of people who have just done a commercial on television and the camera doesn't go off of them? And they're still grinning? And so, folks, I tell you, the number two iodine, the number two iodine is for teeth that really fight being clean. Now, and he grins, looks at you holds the can up, and you know they're supposed to take the camera off him, and the grin becomes manic, and pretty soon you see his his eyes are starting to blink. He can't hold the grin, and the camera's still on him, <coughs> and he's still holding the can, and it goes on and on and on, and you feel the whole house of cards crumbling, crumbling, crumbling. A whole house of cards is coming down around us. Have you ever... You know that there's a guy out in, in Westchester who has a house that is made entirely of ace of spades? He's an ad man. Of course, he doesn't realize that what he's living in is made entirely of pasteboards, bicycles. But nevertheless, the facts are there. I think if I should wait some night in an enchanted forest with tall, dim hemlocks and moss-covered branches and quiet, shadowy aisles between the tall, blue lichen trees with low shrubs forming grotesque outlines in the moonlight and the ground covered with a thick carpet of pine needles so that my footsteps made no sound, they would not be afraid to glide silently from their hiding places to the white patch of moonlight on the pine needles and dance to the moon and the stars and the wind. Their arms would gleam white in the moonlight and a thousand dewdrops sparkle in the dimness of their hair. <laughs> but I should not dare to look at their wildly beautiful faces. I just thought you ought to know. I thought you ought to know. Just on the other side of that dock, just on the other side of that window pane, just beyond that air shaft, there lies the thousand sparkling eyes of the the it, the inexorable being in capital letters, the scuttering moving thing. It's like the other day. I just happened to run into one of these these magazines, you know, that are devoted to houses. Oh, there's something very significant about the growth of home magazines in our time. These magazines that are devoted to houses, 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 houses. How I was able to convert that old, unused closet into a 14-room home, which I later turned to houses, houses, houses. And there was one article that says, The Poetic House. And it began with, Here you are safe. Here is a refuge. You are finally within. You are finally deep down under that lowering sky, protected, protected, protected. And then the next line went on to say, and this was one of the most sinister of all the lines, it said, the illusion of living under some rock or under some mountain that is covered with green growing things is yours in this home. 
<laughs> yes, and, and there's no small wonder that, that akin to this interesting attitude towards homes is the current sudden interest in burial grounds. More and more ads are appearing in more and more newspapers that show more young couples strolling arm in arm. It says they've just made plans for true total security. They've just bought their young Mr. and Mrs. Swinging Couples lot. Yes. As a matter of fact, you know that there is a Long Island cemetery that says the cemetery for the young moderns? I mean, what is a young modern like after he's 74 and finally goes? Is he still a young modern when he kicks out? <laughs> or does he expect to go next week remaining a young modern with his free-form headstone? Yes, he died with a flat just a little fleck of Pepsi on his lips. He died out there over his barbecue. Oh, how, how wit, how wit, to thee the sky will sing, and in the singing sky there will be indeed the long, thin, high note, the wail of the banshee of foreverness. Calling, calling, calling. That's better. Calling. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe Crack-a-feeny, finey foe Uma, nuja, upa, tuja Rick, bick, bando Eeny, meeny, miny, moe All the children in a row Crack-a-feeny, who is he? Counting out so solemnly Eeny, meeny, look how tall, like a shadow on the wall. When did he come down the street, muffled up from head to feet? Listen, don't you hear the shiny shadow man counting? Meeny, miny, hush. When all the counting's done, maybe I might be the one. Crack-a-feeny, finey foe, watch his shining fingers go. He can see enough to play through... That long darkness of the day, though he hides his face away. Apatuja, Rick, Big Ben. Oh, the solemn counting man, 411 from the top. Now where will his fingers stop? Eeny, meeny, miny, moe, crack-a-feeny, finey foe. Umanuja, Apatuja, Rick, Ben, Ben, do, do. Ha-ha. The counting man counts. I might be the one to go. When I'm a man and can do as I wish, 
When I am a man and can do as I wish, with no one to ask if I may, although I'll play cricket a little and fish, <laughs> I'll conjure most of the day. The conjurer's life is so easy and grand, he makes such superior jokes. Oh, it's splendid to stand with a wand in your hand and puzzle relations and folks. If eggs should be wanted, you turn to a friend and draw two or three from his hair. If a rabbit is wished and his hat he will lend, you wave and behold, one is there. <laughs> to pound a gold watch into thousands of bits and restore it as good as before. It's a life that beats even a major's to fits, apart from the absence of gore. We will order all order unless it's too late. I think they've closed the kitchen. Oh, oh, yes, uh, there's no... Hold it, hold it. Oh, oh, cheap guitar music, please. Uh, I will award the brass figligy tonight, since it's almost midnight. And by the way, stay tuned for old L.J. Hey, John, are you there? Hey, hey. Yes, John is suspended. Of course, John is not here. The, not really. Uh, we are only products of the moment of the time that we are here, the moment, the instant. Napoleon is no longer with us except in the million shadows and duplicates that he has left behind somehow, but not the real. And I will disappear at midnight and will not exist, John. You do not exist until midnight at all. Remember that. That's true. You know, have, you ever, have you ever concerned yourself with this, this strange thing of time? That you don't, you really do not, you have no existence until midnight. None at all. And, and, and uh, this is not an imaginary thing. It is not. People feel cheated when they hear me in the middle of the afternoon. I say, this guy's dead. He's not here. Get him out. Yes, and exactly at midnight I will go. Albeit being too young to leave this mortal sphere, I will go. Because John and I do not exist in the mortal sphere. Remember that. We exist only in the sphere of the imagination of the receptor. And like people working in snow, like sculptors working in ice, our work is gone as of the moment. Every writer is worried, you know, that he's going to outlive his books. He's going to be still alive when his books are no longer read and they've all been burnt and made into doorstops. John, you and I outlive our... Sh we outlive our work every night. At midnight, it's gone. It's ridiculous. Oh, weep no bitter tears. No, no. Skull. I can assure you that uh, John, it looks like he was in the control room a minute ago. He wasn't. He will not exist until just six minutes from now. He will come strangely out of that, out of that billowing cloud of time brandishing a sword. And I will disappear into that same billowing cauldron.
disappearing. Not to exist again until another arbitrary moment in time, 11.15 tomorrow night. It's idiotic. Of course, we're all on the same system, believe it or not. Did Napoleon exist any more than you exist? You see, his show is over. Like we say in radio, the big old hands on the big old clock have swept around, folks. <laughs> I'll be back tomorrow. Oh, will you be? Or is this another one of those sad whistlings in the darks that all of us do? I can imagine that the, the typical radio man finally has gone to his just reward, and there is his free-form headstone hanging there in, in the middle distance over the small plot that he has prepared for himself, being a true young modern. And the inscription reads, The hands of the clock has come around to that time, folks. I'll be around with you again tomorrow at this same time. In Gothic lettering. Oh, will he? Oh, yes. Do you look upon God as a vast casting agent? A casting director? Who can reject you? <laughs> That's very tough. Yes. Well, let me tell you, I will award the brass figligy with bronze oak leaf palm to the one person who can tell me how Boom Boom Beck got his name. Did you ever hear of Boom Boom Beck? Well, the reason that I remember Boom Boom Beck and will remember Boom Boom Beck until my last day upon this mortal sphere is that here was a man who carried the clarion call of his failures with him. Boom, boom, Beck. You don't know how he got his name, do you? Well, I can assure you that every time a poor relief pitcher who has been shelled off the mound in his previous outing is called back in the eighth inning with the bases loaded, with the sweat pouring down off of his benighted brow, he hopes that they'll forget what he did last time. Don't judge me by what I was. I'm a new man out there at this moment. Everyone believes that every new day that comes by and comes up and dawns over that eastern horizon creates in him a new man. Don't remember how rotten I was yesterday, folks. Don't. This is the new me. And by 10 o'clock in the morning, it's already quite apparent that not only are you being judged by your past performance, but you are repeating the same insanity over and over and over and over and over and over again. A 232 hitter is a 232 hitter. He doesn't suddenly come up next season and hit 438. He's always 232. What is your lifetime average, by the way? Just thought I'd ask. I'll let that stew down there in that pot of wheatina. Do you want me to do my my famous imitation of a pot of wheatina stewing in a kitchen in the Midwest? prior to going to school time. Do you want to hear it again? I'll leave that with you. I want you to think of Boom Boom Beck tonight. I want you to remember that Boom Boom Beck carried it for all to see. I want you to remember it because you do too. 
A strange foreboding is o'er me. My heart is idly fraught. I have heard of an olden story that will not out of my thought. The air is cool and darkling, and the Rhine is still below. The peak of the mountain is sparkling in evening afterglow. And there sits and there gleams a maiden yonder so high and fair with golden jewels laden, combing her golden hair. <laughs> She combs it with a comb that is golden, and ever she is singing a song of mysterious, olden, and mighty melody. It seizes with wildest sorrow the boatman ferrying by, and he wrecks not of rock nor of narrow, and he gazes only on high. I doubt not the wave will devour the boat and the boatman ere long. And that was the Lorelei's power, and that the Lorelei's song. Please stop whining, baby. I can't stand it. Stop your whining. I'm going to go out of my skull. I'll buy it. I'll buy it all for you. <laughs> I'll buy it all. I, of course I love you. Of course, you idiot. I'll, I'll prove to you I love you if I have to choke the last breath out of you. Stop your whining, will you, you lummox? Speaking of lummoxes, stay tuned for Long John. He follows in a few short seconds. He will come to life out of the boiling cauldron, carrying aloft his silver sword, bearing, bearing that brazen shield. And I, too, 